I don't know how many times I sat in church, Father, and heard the preacher say, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. But especially today, those words are um, really seem pertinent to me in light of the message that we're going to look at. And I would add one line, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts and the witness of the Holy Spirit cause revelation to take place in each of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, who is our rock. Amen. You know, sometimes a situation in our life is just so big or it's, decision that we have to make just seems so hard or there's a circumstance in our life that is just so overwhelming and the question in some respects is how do you have faith when you're in what appears to be a faithless situation and in Romans 10 verse 17 it tells us where faith comes from it says consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ the Word of Christ. So I guess, and you've probably heard this before, if you want to build your faith, then fill your life with the Bible. The more Bible knowledge you have, the more faith you're going to have, and the less you know about the Bible, the less faith you're going to have. But the question I have is, how do you deal with problems in difficult situations? And some folks would say, well, you've got the promises of God. In fact, Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and I appreciate this a lot, but let me quote. He says, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. They are like blank checks, gifts waiting to be received. Get a promise to claim on to, grab it, and you'll have your answer. There's a verse for every need and every problem in the Bible. The more promises you know, the more powerful your prayer life will become, and you'll get an answer from God. Close quote. Now, I don't disagree with that in general. But the question then is, why don't the promises always work? You know, I was reading about a man who was a diabetic, and he had turned to this verse in John chapter 14, verse 14, and it says, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll do it. And so he said, God, I'm going to ask that you cure my diabetes. And he threw away his insulin, and three days later he died. You know, so what happened? God promised... But it didn't work. You know. Since I've been a college student, I've known about the promises of God and these principles about praying them. However, I didn't fully understand it like I think I'm going to try to explain to you today. I was on the summer staff of a camp up at Forest Home, and one night uh, one of the counselors was a kid who was in a wheelchair, and the counselor said, tonight we're going to pray and you're going to walk. And so uh, he said, you know, God says if you ask anything in prayer, it's going to happen. So uh, he prayed, and this guy believed that, you know, maybe he was going to be healed, and his legs were going to start working again, and, you know, the doctor said this guy's never going to walk again, but Dennis, he had all the faith in the world, and an hour later this kid was still sitting in the wheelchair. And the question was, why didn't it work? Why don't the promises of God always work? And why did that end to a... Uh, that event led, led to a lot of disillusionment for a lot of kids about what it meant to, uh, to really take God's word and, and to claim it for different situations. Well, the fact of the matter is I think there's a, a misconception about the promises of God. And here it is. You can't automatically claim a promise that's been given to somebody else that, that in the Bible unless the Holy Spirit gives that promise to you. 
And to understand what I'm talking about, you've got to understand that when God speaks, he speaks to people in two different ways. First of all, he speaks universally to everybody. And then second, he speaks personally to individual people, specific messages for specific situations at specific times. Now, the New Testament originally was written in Greek. And in the Greek word, or in the Greek language, there are two words for word. One is the word logos. The other is rhema. Whenever you hear the phrase, the word of God, sometimes it's the logos of God, and sometimes it's the rhema of God. In the opening verse in Romans 10, 17, which we looked at a minute ago, it says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes or is heard through the logos, the word of God. The logos is the word of God for everybody. When the Bible says in 1 Timothy, you know, God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut through bone and marrow and judge the intentions of a man's heart. It's talking about the universal word of God. Okay. And that's, I think that's everything from Genesis to Revelation. Or generations to revolutions, as one guy used to say. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the 23rd Psalm. That's God's word for everybody. And it's the foundation for the second time of, type of word of God, which is a rhema. And the rhema is the word of God to you personally. It's a specific word. It's a promise to a specific person in a specific situation. And we can only claim a promise when it is a word to us and when it's a specific word to us. I, I just want to share with you how I think you get that. Sarah was Abraham's wife. You remember, remember one day God came to Sarah and he said, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Now, there's nothing unusual about that except she was 90 years old and her husband is 99. So that's incredible. You know. This was a specific word to Sarah. God didn't say the whole nation of Israel, every woman who reaches the age of 90 is going to become a mother. You know, It was a specific rhema, a word of God to her and not to anybody else. And so it's not when you say, God used it in that person's life, so I'm going to claim it as a promise for me. John 15, 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Now listen, it says, if you continue in my rhema, it doesn't say in my logos. If you continue in my specific word to you, and my words remain, you ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. So, remember the story of Peter, he's walking on the water. Uh, you know, Peter's in the boat. And he, it's night, and he, they think, oh, no, it's a ghost, and they're, they're afraid. And in Matthew 14, Jesus says, you know, uh, don't be afraid, it's I. You know. And so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And you remember what happened? Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks across the water. Notice that no one else in the boat was anxious to get out of the boat, because it was a word to Peter. See, It wasn't a word to everybody specifically to Peter. It wasn't a universal word. The next day, Peter didn't get up and say, all right, guys, let's go fishing, but don't worry, we don't need a boat. Let's just walk out on the water and catch our fish. No, it was a one-time thing, a specific word to Peter at a specific time in a specific place to do a specific thing. Now, 
You don't read Matthew 14 and you read about Peter walking the water and say, okay, guys, let's go walk across the swimming pool. No. Don't work your life on a rhema that was given to somebody else, a specific word given to somebody else. Like Dennis, the camper, the counselor, he prayed, he had tremendous faith, nothing happened, and so people became disillusioned and mad, and they say, why didn't God heal me? It's in the Bible. You said so. He has to do it. No, they didn't have a personal word from God for that particular thing. It was a general word. Now, I think Satan tried to use this on Jesus one time. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and, and Satan's out there tempting him? And you know what he said? He said, jump off this temple because the Bible says God will take care of you. That wasn't faith. That was presumption. It was a general promise. God will take care of you. That's like reading a verse and, and going home and drinking arsenic. You know, God's going to take care of me. God hasn't promised to take care of you if you drink arsenic. That was a general promise. So in order to understand how God speaks, we've got to understand that God speaks in two ways. Generally to everybody and specifically to you. And he speaks personally to individuals about personal things. Now, how does he do that personally? Well, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit's duty is to take the Bible and to apply it to our lives personally. To make it come alive. Look at this verse in John 14, 26. But the counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, I don't know if this is underlined in your thing, but teach you, you could underline it, all things, and will remind you, you could underline that, of everything that I've said to you. And then drop down to John 16, 13. It says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will, here's the word guide, you could underline that, you into all truth, and he will not speak of his own, he will speak only of what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So in these two verses, what Jesus does is he gives us the job description of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to remind us, and to guide us. It's the Holy Spirit's job description to make the scriptures apply to our lives personally in a dynamic way. In other words, he takes the logos and he turns it into a rhema and he changes us. That's what we call illumination. And that's his job. Now, I don't think there's anything mystical about this, what we're talking about. This happens all the time. It's happened to you. Have you ever been in a church service where the preacher started speaking about something and all of a sudden you just feel like he's speaking directly to you? You know, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've, I've had this happen. You know, uh, people come up and say, how did you know? <laughs> you know, were you, were you peeking in our window? Did you, did you bug our house? You know, I might be speaking on how to resolve marital conflict and they just got out of the car and made fright. And it's like, how did he know? You know, uh, have you been reading my mail? Have you been talking to my spouse? Those are some of the comments I'll get from people, you know, and I can't claim credit for it. The fact is, I simply get up and I deliver to you the logos, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit takes it and he says, bingo. This is what it means in your life. I say something to you, and sometimes it might relate to you in a totally different way than I even intended it. You know, I've had people come up the door and say, man, that point you made about such and such. And I go, I don't even remember saying that. <laughs> you know, God takes a general word, and I say it to everyone, and then he takes and he specifically applies it to you. The Holy Spirit illuminated it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been talking to someone 
And maybe they have a personal problem and you're thinking to myself, I wonder what in the world I'm going to say. And then all of a sudden, a scripture might pop into your mind. I was just with a guy a couple weeks ago having breakfast. and he's, He's going through an incredibly tough time in his life. And about a year ago, I had read this book called The Land Between. Kathy and I have been reading this. I've been reading it out loud to her. But it's from when the children of Israel leave Egypt... Before they get in the promised land, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. And I was sharing with this guy about how God, in the wilderness experience, builds character in our life. And the things that he was trying to do to take these Israelites who had been worshiping all these other gods, and now they're going to come and worship the one true God, and how he had to, had to make them become dependent on him for almost every need that they had on a daily basis. I get an email from the guy two days later. He says, he says, unbelievable. He said, that was exactly what I need to hear. I hadn't thought about that book in almost a year. But right in the middle of our conversation, God brought that idea of what it means to be in the land between. And so, so I think sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit does it. He reminds us of things. He teaches us things and he guides us. So I don't know if you've been worrying about a major situation or a problem in your life or struggling with an issue, and all of a sudden you remember something that was said three months ago or that you read or, or you heard, and it just fits perfectly and it applies to your situation. God has given you a rhema. He's spoken to you personally. Yeah. And that's the way that God works in our lives. The Holy Spirit takes the general word of God and he makes it come alive to us. But the question I have is how do you know that you just didn't have bad pizza the night before? How do you know it really is God who is speaking? Well, first of all, I'll tell you a couple things. It always agrees with the Bible. God will never contradict what he's already said. So, you know, if God gave you an impression about something and it doesn't match with Scripture, you can be guaranteed that it's not of God. I had a conversation with a guy, and he was so sure it was God's will that he hook up with this particular woman. Unfortunately, it wasn't his wife, and he was already married and had a child. And I said, he said, I think it's God's will that we're together. And I said, I can guarantee you it's not God's will. Because God will never lead you contrary to his word. You know, and that's a, a you can take that biblical scriptural principle to the bank, you know. You know when it's God because it always squares with the Bible. The second thing is, all of a sudden, Scripture becomes alive. It takes on new meaning. It becomes dynamic and exciting. You know, let's say that I were to say to you, I love you. I do. It's true. I love this church and I love the people of this church. That's a general word. And my wife's sitting right here, and I'm sure that that didn't mean a blessed thing to her. A general, I love you. But when I come up to her and I say, I love you, thank you, I hope her heart is racing and, and uh, you know, and that, that that is exciting to her because I just took a general thing, but I personalized it to her. See, and that's the role of, the, of what God does. Now, uh, let's see. By the way, my wife was included in the first one, I love you all. (laughs) But suddenly it got personal to her. And this is the secret of hearing from God. And that's what happens when we become Christians. How many times did you hear before you were Christian that God loves you? 
you know. I must have heard that a hundred times, maybe more. And it just kind of rolled off my back like, you know, water off a duck's back. And then one day, all of a sudden, God kind of burned that truth into my life. And I realized God loves me, you know. With all my faults and all my fears and all my problems and all my hang-ups, God loves me, you know. And I'll tell you, that changed my life as a 10th grader. All of a sudden, God's word to everybody in general became a very personal word to me. And I realized it, and I came alive, and it made a difference in my life. And one of the results of getting a word from God, a personal rhema, is that it builds tremendous faith in your life. You know, Faith comes from hearing the rhema of God, not the logos of God, but the rhema of God. And faith comes from hearing God speak to you personally. And all of a sudden, I've got confidence. I don't know if you've ever had a devotional time where you get alone with God, and you sit down and you read the Bible, and maybe there's a verse that you've read a hundred times before, and all of a sudden it just kind of jumps out at you, and you see it in a way that you never saw it before. I had this experience. I was watching 60 Minutes a couple of years ago, and they did this thing with Federal Express. And they said, one of the things about the Federal Express logo is they said there's some subliminal things in it. And I said, I never saw that before. And they said, there's an arrow in the, in the logo. And I never saw the arrow before, but then, let's, there it is. And so it, it, it was there the whole time, but I never saw it. And that's what happens a lot of times when we're reading God's Word. And uh, you find exactly what you need for that day. That's God's Spirit taking a general word and personalizing it to you. So, what do you do when you need to hear from God and you need to know what God's will is? Let me just give you a couple steps really quickly. First of all, you confess any known sin to God. You say, God, I don't want anything to be blocking our relationship. Is there a, is there a bad attitude that I've got? Is there anything that I'm doing that you want me to stop doing? Is there anything I should be doing that I'm not doing? You know, And you just stop and you take a spiritual bath. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. Forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just confess it and make sure that the channels are open to God. Number two, commit the decision or the situation to Christ. I know you've heard this verse before, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. So you don't go out and try to figure it out yourself, you know. Now, this is going to take some time. You might say, God, about this problem or this decision I'm facing, whatever you want is what I want. And you keep praying. You keep praying until you get that attitude about the situation. Lord, whatever you want, I want. If you want it, I want it. If you don't want it, I don't want it. The attitude of Christ that was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but thine be done. You know, I've said at times, even recently, I don't know. This is a difficult situation I'm facing, and I don't know what to do with it. So whatever you want, God, I'm going to commit it to you. And then number three, ask God to reveal his will by giving you a desire. You know, after you've got your, your desire out of, your own desire out of the way, so then you say, God, I'm willing to go either way. And then you say, God, help me to know what you want by giving me a desire one way or another. I don't know why, but... 
did you ever have this feeling when you were younger, if you were a believer as a student, you felt that any time you had a desire, it was probably opposite of what God wanted? <laughs> you know, I always felt that if I, if I really had a strong desire for something, then, you know, God would want me to become a missionary in Africa or something. But, uh, but no, who gives you those desires? God does. In fact, look to Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Who put those desires there in the first place? Maybe a desire for music or a desire for writing or a desire for something else. God did. And so, a lot of times, it is God that is in our desires. You know. And so, how do you know if I've received a God-given desire? Well, look at James 1.5. I love this from the Living, New Living Translation. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. And he will gladly tell you he will not resent your asking. So you pray, God, would you give me the right kind of desire? Why? Because Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He can give you the desire. And how do you know the desires from God? Well, one good test of that desire is time. I think one way to know if, if a desire is from God is that you say, God, if it's your desire, would you make it stronger? If this desire is not from you, would you take it away? And I think that's a legitimate request to ask God to do it. And then number four, compare your desires with Scripture. You know, keep reading your Bible and see in your, in your desire if it's in tune with what the Bible says. God's Spirit, remember I said earlier, will never lead you contrary to God's Word. And so if my desire feels opposite to this book, then I know it's not right. You know, it's called spiritual screening. You know, it's like you take a grid of the Bible and you line up your, your desires to it and see if it squares with it. If you don't know the Bible, how are you going to know whether it squares or not? So that's why if you don't, maybe you want to check it out with a, a small group leader or a, another brother, sister in Christ, or an elder, a, a godly person who, who, who you can just say, hey, I sense this is what God is leading me to do. Would you help me verify that? You know, uh, Years ago, I went in my dad's office. I said, Dad, how do you know what your spiritual gift is? He said, well, first of all, you'll enjoy it. Other people will recognize it, and God will bless it. And so I've always found that uh, there is wisdom, as the Bible says, in the counsel of others or the counsel of many. So check it with other people. James 3.17 gives you eight tests that you can apply right out of the gate to know whether an idea is from God or not. And this, this is just one of many tests that I could have given you to apply. Look at it in James 3.17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then it's peace-loving considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then number five, listen to God or for God to give you that personal promise or that rhema. You don't just go to the Bible and randomly, you know, uh, you know the old dip and skip method where you just say, God, speak to me, and you point to a verse and it says, Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> you say, oh, come on, God, really speak to me. And he says, you know, <laughs> Uh, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> you know, oh, come on, God, really speak to me. He says, whatever thou doest, do it quickly. No, um, no. Th that's the dip and skip method 
uh, is not really good. You listen for God prayerfully and systematically as you read God's word and you wait for God to speak. The rhema, the personal word of God, gives uh, you uh, that word of, through a variety of ways, I think. It might come through Bible reading. Uh, it might come through a song. It might come through a conversation with somebody else. Um, I'm years ago, 1986. Uh, I thought I was going to go as an associate pastor at the Union Church in Guatemala City in Guatemala, and I had flown down twice. I was going to also teach Bible at the uh, Guatemala Christian Academy, which is an academy for missionary children who come from all over Guatemala. It's a boarding school, and uh, so I, I really sensed that maybe this is what I, sh- I should do. I uh, had gotten all my information for enrolling in, in uh, language school in Costa Rica, where I was going to go for three months to learn Spanish. And um, I knew that they were going to call me on a particular morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. We had arranged that I would give them my final answer to the committee. And I, I tell you, I didn't have the peace of God. I was just wrestling with whether or not I should do this or not. And I don't recommend the dip and skip method, but I do recommend if you're systematically reading through God's word, that God will use his word to speak to you. And that year I was reading through the Bible on a whole year basis. And the reading that year, that particular day, was in Ezekiel chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And the night before, I knew they were calling next night, I had literally lay on my carpet in my living room with my hands stretched out on my face, just begging God to give me a, a, a clear answer to what I should do. So now it's about 8 o'clock in the morning. They're going to call at 10, and I open my Bible to have my daily reading. Here it is in Ezekiel chapter 3. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened. He said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart the words that I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. And I can't explain this, but that general word became the specific word of God to me that morning. The peace of God came over me. And I knew that my calling was to come to my own countrymen. In fact, not to tell you what the next verse says, it says, they are hard-headed people, but I will make your head as hard as theirs. (laughs) So, that wasn't a word to everybody in the spring of 1986, but it was a word for me for one specific time. How did I get it? Through the systematic reading of Scripture. It might be through a daily devotional that you read. Uh, you ever wonder about that, how you read a devotional that was probably written a year ago, and you go, how did they know that that's what I needed for today? That was God taking a general word and making it specific to you. It could come in a church service. You're sitting there and you're listening, and all of a sudden something is said, and it just hits you. It may be a word in a song, and I've had that happen many times where there's a situation going on in my life, and then I'll, I'll see a word on the screen of a song, and that's my answer. might be in a Bible study group, and that's why I think you need to be in a small group, because you might be missing God's answer. Seriously, your prayer life is never any stronger than your understanding of Scripture. It could be on tape, a radio program, or in a book. You never know where it's going to come from. It could be a friend. 
A friend might say a word to you that just really, you, you didn't realize, and that was, that was God's word that day. So, I'll bet you 95% of Christians never hear God speak to them personally because they're too busy or they're in a hurry. And we want God to give us an answer in five seconds. But God wants to prepare us to get us ready. God speaks to the person who's willing to take the time to listen. If you say, I have to have an answer in the next 30 seconds, then you basically have already made your, your decision. Are you willing to wait and listen? Wait until God speaks. Don't get impatient. Listen for God to give you a personal word. And then after you've got that verse or that somehow that, that word, you've got that assurance that this was God's word for you, number six, claim the promise with confidence. You can pray very specifically. You can start thanking God because, you know, the promise is the answer. I don't know if you remember when you were in school. I don't know if, how they were in California, but back in New Jersey when I went to school, they used to have the answers to the math questions, the odd numbers in the back of the book, you know. And so the idea was that you would work out the formula and then you'd check to see if you got the right answer. But if you were anything like me, I always went and found the answer. And then I tried to find the formula that would get to the right answer. Okay. And I think that's what, it, what it's like to hear from God. You got the answer. Now you're trying to figure out the formula to get to what the answer is. Uh, let's say that you're supposed to, you know, uh, let's, let's say you went to New York and, and you send an email back to your administrative assistant and said, I need you to send the contracts for, uh, that, that I can read through for the, for the meeting back here. And so then you get to New York and you call and you say, hey, you know that email I sent you about the contracts? And your assistant says, yeah, I got your email and I've already shipped it out Federal Express. It'll be there tomorrow. You can thank her even though you don't have the contracts because you know they're on the way based on the integrity of your administrative assistant. You don't have any doubt about it. And I think that's how it is with hearing a word from God. God gives you a promise and you say, thanks, Lord. I haven't gotten it yet, but I know that it's on the way because you've given me a, a word, you know. You've spoken to my heart, and I know it's going to happen. Now listen, back in 1986, I had no idea that I was going to specifically become a pastor. Okay. But I knew that I wasn't supposed to go to Guatemala. I knew what the answer was, that I was supposed to go to my own people and, and bring God's word to them. Where, when, I didn't have that figured out, but I knew the answer. And often God will send little confirmations and circumstances along the way while you're waiting. I wish I had more time to give you examples of that, how God uh, often brings confirmation little steps at a time. And then finally, you need to move into action when God says go. You know, when God gives you a rhema, I think he gives it in three parts. First, he says, here's what, what he's going to do, and here's how he's going to do it. And then he gives you the timing of it. And I think the biggest mistake that most believers make is they get the first part and they forget the other idea, the other parts. God told me what he's going to do, and then we go out and we try to do it as if we can do it on our own. We try to do it in our own way, and, and we usually fall flat. We don't know that, that the timing is so important, and we tend to rush things. How do you know it's God's timing? 
I think it'll be obvious. Uh, years ago, uh, my first job out of college, I was working in San Diego Youth for Christ, and a good friend named Ted Limpick, and we went to this missionary conference weekend up at Forest Home. And the speaker said, if you're willing to go anywhere God would have you go and do whatever God would have you do, I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I'm sitting next to Ted, and he stands up. And I'm trying to have a lot of integrity with this. And I didn't stand. Because at that time, I couldn't say that. So we had this friend back in San Diego, and this guy is like a a missionary junkie. You know, he's got uh, tracks and brochures of, you know, mission groups from all over the world coming out of every pocket, you know. And he's always trying to talk people into going to missions. So we get back to San Diego, and Ted says, uh, Miles, uh, I'm going to be a missionary. And, And he goes, Wow, Ted, that's great. Where are you going to be a missionary? And I don't know why, but Ted just said Brazil. And Miles says, what do you want to be a missionary in Brazil for? Do you know there's more missionaries in Brazil than any country in the world? And he pulls out this, this brochure for Libya. He says there's only two missionaries in Libya. You want to know why, Ted? Because they shoot missionaries in Libya. The only way you can be a missionary in, in, in Libya is if you're clever. Are you clever, Ted? And for some reason, that just unsettled Ted's spirit, you know. And, and he decided through a period of prayer and, and conversations with the white quality stuff like that, that, that God was calling him to reach Muslims for Christ. So he goes to Talbot Seminary. He gets a Master's of Divinity degree. He goes to UCLA Grad School, and he learns Arabic. And he gets a job with a multinational corporation so that he can move into Libya. He's already got all of his, his they, in those back in my day, they called them barrels. When you sent them over, they were these round things that you sent on ships over. He already sent all his possessions over there. Two nights before they were to fly out from LAX, their son Jeremy comes down throwing up uncontrollably, ends up in UCLA Medical Center, and after several days of trying to figure out a diagnosis, the doctor says, Ted, your son has a disease that only one out of like every 240,000 children in America have. And he said, to be honest with you, there's no way you can go to Libya. They just don't have the medical technology to deal with this. And you can imagine Ted was heartbroken. Three years of seminary, two years of grad school, got a job over there, and now the doctor's saying, you can't go there? And in desperation, he said, God, he said doctor, is there anywhere in the world that I could go that would have the medical technology to take care of Jeremy. And the doctor said, there's only one place I know of, Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's interesting is they've discovered that Brazilians, because of their olive-colored skin, are able to infiltrate into a Muslim culture better than any other nationality in the world. And there are more missionaries that have been sent from Brazil to Muslim countries than from any other country and have a higher success rate of reaching people for Christ. Ted is now a professor in the seminary in Brazil, training Brazilians to go to Muslim countries to share Christ with others. And he's, in effect, reaching far more Muslims for Christ than he ever would have reached if he had gone to Libya. He had the right idea wrong country but he was moving 
He heard God's voice to say, this is what I want you to do, go. And he started moving. And men and women, you cannot steer a car that's not moving. And so you step out and you start to make steps. As you hear it, you feel like you've heard God's word. This is where he wants you to go. And you start to move in obedience to that. God says, wait on him. And when he says, go, you move into action. At that point, you have to take a step of faith, kind of like Peter stepping out of the boat into the water, kind of like John Ortberg's new book, or, well, it's not so new, says if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You know, you got to take a step based on God's word to you. Now, listen, in closing today, I know that there are some of you perhaps today who are facing some insurmountable problems in your life. Some of you have decisions that you've got to make pretty shortly. Some of you are struggling with major health issues. And very rarely does somebody call me up out of the blue and kind of say something to me. Uh, but I, I tell you, a couple of years ago, uh, when I was at uh, my church in Wheaton, Illinois, um, we had just finished building this new building, and we had 18 acres that we had bought. And, it, and we were, it, things were really going well except for one guy. <laughs> who, I mean, if we gave lollipops to kids, it was of Satan. I mean, every time we tried to do something, you know, anything we were for, he was against, you know. And uh, it wasn't just me, but a lot of our staff was discouraged, our elders were discouraged, and, and I had met this guy only twice in my life, and I didn't even talk to him directly. He called and he said, he left a voicemail. He said, Bill, I don't know why I've been thinking a lot about you, and I feel like God just wanted me to give you a call. And I wanted to share this verse with you. And it came from 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. One translation says, of a sound mind. And I'll tell you what. I listened to that voicemail, and it just hit me. Uh, in the sense that I was just filled with peace. I felt like that was God's word to me right then, that day. God said, my spirit is not one of fear. You don't have to be afraid and anxious. I'm, I'm going to fill you with love, and I'm going to fill you with power, and I'm going I'm to have, have you have a sound mind in all this. you know. And I'm working in your life. And that day, that was a general word that became a specific word to me. And I think God wants to work in every one of our lives. That's the Logos. And I think he wants to work in your life. And that's the Rhema. Does God still speak today? You bet he does. But he does it his way according to the conditions of his sovereign will. And some of you may be facing some issues in your marriage right now or at work or perhaps a major decision that you have to make. And I hope this teaching has been helpful for you. Would you pray with me? And as we're bowed in an attitude of prayer, I just I want to lead us in a, a process of prayer individually because the starting point is confession. And maybe you'd say, God, is there anything in my life that's hindering you? Is there a sin that you want me to admit? Is there an attitude that I need to confess? Is there a habit that I need to give up? Is there a difficult thing that I've been doing that I need to stop doing? 
Is there something that I've been tell, you've been telling me to do and I've just been putting it off? Just ask for forgiveness. And then you ask God, say, God, would you, would you help me to want what you want? Thy will be done. If you want it, I want it. If you don't want it, I don't want it. I'm willing. And that willingness, maybe you need to be involved in a Bible study or a small group. So that you can get a rhema. And then maybe you'd say, God, I just want to be quiet and listen to you until you speak to my heart and you give me an assurance of that decision. Any way you want to give it to me, Lord, I'm, I'm open to it. Perhaps some of you had a, an assurance just listening to God's teaching today. I can tell you I did preparing it. And then you can claim that promise, and when God says go, you move. And today maybe God is saying to some of you, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And God wants to fill you with his love and his power and give you the mental and emotional and spiritual stability that maybe you've been yearning for. Just before I close in prayer, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart. I think God might be saying, I love you. Not the person next to you, but you. And you're not here by accident. And perhaps you just say in your heart quietly, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but I realize something is happening in my life. And I want to become a believer in you. And I want you to be the managing director of my life. Help me to understand it more. Thank you for loving me. And as best as I understand, I'm opening my life to you today. Well, Father, I just want to thank you for your word that it's practical and it's relevant. And I thank you that you brought us here today and that we had something or you had something in mind for us that would help us to learn how you might speak to us. So help us to become intimately acquainted with your spirit so that we're sensitive and we can know that what your will is with clarity when you speak to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.